Hi, my name is Martin and this is episode 13 of the Attributive Security Podcast. In each episode, we have an unscripted chat about a different topic relating to risk and security. We share these conversations in the hope that you find them interesting and helpful. We certainly find them helpful to clarify our thoughts and to learn. I'm joined in this episode by my regular co-host, Maurice. Keep listening to hear our conversation about unknown unknowns and their place in our assessment and management of business risks. Before we get started, I'd just like to remind you that the opinions shared in this podcast are personal and may not be shared by any past or present employers or clients. Good morning, sir. Hey, Chief. How are you? I'm good. So we've had a couple of uh, false starts on this one. Had to cancel a couple of times. Unforeseen circumstances, they would say, but were they really? I think you wanted to talk about unknown unknowns. Yeah, that's correct. The uh, It bothers me, the unknown unknowns, when people mark something as such. And it started with Donald Rumsfeld, of course. Um. He sort of, can we say he coined it? He uh, popularized it, at least. Yeah. I think if if you think back, and we're both old enough, I guess, to, to think back, he was, he stood up, he said his bit, and everyone thought, what is this guy on about? Has he lost it? You know, has he lost the plot? And I think in the aftermath of that, I think, you know, people thought about it a bit more and decided he wasn't a complete lunatic as I think people thought he sounded at first. But a lot of the the concept goes back quite a bit further than that. I think he got it from the military establishment of the United States. I'm not sure which uh, branch uh, and, and how it came about, but, you know, he he was speaking from his experience of the framework from there. And it, it's a simple two-by-two model that everyone's familiar with. And... The roots of that, I think, go back to the 50s. So there's a thing called the Jahari window. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it all goes back to that. And that really, I think, was starting out as a model for, I guess, mapping personality awareness, maybe. So you, you had a, a list of personality traits, uh, adjectives, and... You selected the ones you thought applied to you. Other people selected the ones they thought applied to you, you know, from an external viewpoint. And you, I guess you can then then write them in the grid. And the unknown unknowns at that point were pretty meaningless. They were the ones that you didn't think applied to you and nobody else thought applied to you. And I think it's evolved from there. You know, the, the, the business world sort of picked up on it and, and started looking at what the company knew, what the company thought about itself versus what the market thought about it. And more recently, I think it's it's been been picked up and and used in a in a risk context. Yes, exactly. And that's where I think that's a bit. It's it's not really true to say it's um, if if an event happened afterwards, say that was an unknown unknown. I think that it's because Fukushima or Fukushima, um, Katrina. Yeah. Afterwards, we couldn't say those were unknown unknown events. They were just events that we were unable to imagine or we didn't explore our imagination further. Unknown unknowns means I don't know whether I don't know something while when doing risk assessments. I'm always thinking of these sci-fi writers 
they come up with those fantastic, phenomenal things that happen in the future in outer space, right? And it all lines up and things happen. So I think we are able to think about what may happen, but we just stop somewhere. That is either because we have a template, a checklist during our risk assessment, with just a limited amount of categories, areas that we need to focus on. But uh, the pipelines, the oil, oil pipelines, right? We have the um, uh, deep water horizon. Yep. I think people were able to think of this as such a disaster, but the risk assessment may have stopped there. I'm not accusing people. Yeah. But I mean, you, you touched on the uh, sci-fi there. So I think it's the, the Arthur C. Clarke quote, isn't it, that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I think maybe in that realm, there are some, some unknown unknowns, you know, things that completely are outside of our comprehension, conception even. But I think we're, we're talking about the, the two by two model. And I think the, the axes we, we're using now are maybe, is this something that you can conceive of that you are aware of being a concept on, on one dimension? And on the other dimension, do you understand it? So I know there is a thing called post-quantum cryptography. I don't understand it. So that's, you know, so that can, that can go in the sort of known unknown bucket. And then, you, you know, you talk about unknown unknowns. And that's a real interesting one because there's, there's clearly a observer effect there. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, it's a question for Schrodinger, isn't it? Or, you know, as yeah. soon as you identify something, it clearly can't be in the unknown unknown box. Exactly. And I mean, I guess there's a threshold of how much do you actually have to be able to conceive of it before you can say you conceive of it and you know of it. But as soon as you've identified it, it, it can't go in that box. There can be things, I'm not ready to say there aren't things in that box, but you can't write them down. If you can write them down, they don't go in that box. Exactly. The examples you've given, yes, they're maybe rare. They may be unpredictable, hard to predict when they're going to occur. These once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-hundred-year events, they're hard to predict when, when exactly they're going to happen. They are rare. They are, in, in the statistical sense and in the risk management sense, they're outliers. But to say that they're unknown is a stretch too far, really, isn't it? That's that's actually my point. To say they're unknown unknowns, sure. Uh, Unknown unknown to us is how the universe really works. But when it comes to risk assessments, classifying something as unknown unknowns is, uh, is just not going the extra mile in identifying what can go wrong. There, like you were saying, as soon as you start thinking of something that can go wrong, it's a it's a known unknown, or actually, it's already a known known at that point. Yeah, it, it, it certainly it certainly becomes a known unknown that. But you've got this concept of this thing could happen. Yes, um, and, and yes, maybe there are secondary impacts that you haven't even conceived of yet. But exactly, keep it simple. Right? You've thought of it, so it it could happen, and even. Because unknown unknown is something that you were not able to actually identify. But if you're talking about something that happens systemically, so 
one department is doing something, is having their operations which will impact yours, this is something you could have detected if you've done the risk assessment properly, I would say. Right? If you had the correct scope there, the identification of your environment, the identification of your stakeholders, your interfaces, and all of those kind of things. Now that is, I'm still not putting that in the unknown unknowns. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm putting that but, in the um, the unknown knowns. Exactly. This is the quadrant that, that Rumsfeld didn't mention. The unknown knowns. What is an unknown known? I think an unknown known is something your business doesn't know about, but your people do. So I'd compare that to, we talked we talked before about insider threat. And insider threat not actually being yeah. insider because they're outside of your structures, your processes, your procedures, your architecture. Same here. You have the knowledge, but the business is not able to appreciate, accept, acknowledge that knowledge because you don't, you don't see it for some reason. Some that, that could be, as I say, you've got people that, that know something and don't have a voice in some way. It could be bias. It could be pride. It could be best practice that is actually blinding you to those things that you've got people screaming about them and you're following your best practice and you, you just can't see and act on those uh, triggers, those those bits of information. In the age of big data, it could be you've actually got all the data there and what you're struggling to do is to correctly state the question. But the knowledge is there. And that, I think, is is what you were talking about there. You're talking about having the knowledge, having the awareness at some level, be it, be it data, be it people, be it shielded by, by biases. But the business is not able to use that information because of the structures in place and the, uh, the biases in place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but you remind me of the uncertainties of, um, of the events. Okay. Where of the unknown knowns, and in general, I actually should say, there is this uh, subway uncertainty and coconut uncertainty. Okay. And subway uncertainty is something you can model, and coconut uncertainty is something you cannot model, is what they has, have defined. And something you can model, so subway uncertainties are usually quantifiable, and coconut uncertainties are not, which makes it really hard. Yet, because they are rare events, they depend on time, they depend on systemic impacts or relationships, but yet we can identify them. But it's just, again, that how deep do we go in a risk assessment? How far should we go in, in seeing if a pipeline is going to break and where and how long? And uh, when, we don't know. Well, maybe after 10 years of in risk assessments, we should not refer to unknown unknowns. And what you're saying there, um, inevitably, I guess, brings me back to black swans. Yeah. So black swans being things that are outliers, things that are rare, things that are hard or um, potentially even, I guess, impossible to predict. But, you know, they're, they're not impossible to conceive of. And the problem comes with the risk management uh, techniques we have that we can't we can't properly model them. They They are outliers and they cause us problems because of that and you know the approach uh, 
being proposed there is that, well, actually, we need to uh, get over that, that we can't assess all of those and just build resilience uh, to handle those those outlier cases. Uh, but nowhere does it say, well, you know, these are inconceivable events. They may be unpredictable events. They may be exceedingly rare events, but, you know, they're things that we can conceive of. And it's not just in hindsight, you know, everyone, everyone knew a nuclear power station could, uh, you know, could explode. Everyone knew that a pipeline can leak. Everyone knows that we can have a pandemic. There was a, I mean, lots of governments have, had done preparation to a greater or lesser uh, effectiveness. The, uh, the American Department of State, I think, did a crimson contagion exercise in 2019, I think it was. Uh, that was modelling the effect of a pandemic. Uh, it was actually coming from China. It flew into Chicago and, you know, the whole model was laid out and there were plenty of findings and those findings came to be uh, mirrored in what, what really did happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the early the early response over here was, again, based on some modelling and preparation, but... Both of those cases were a flu pandemic rather than a corona pandemic. But it, it's not inconceivable. They're just problematic things to include within your risk management and your risk assessment because they're these massive effects that it's really actually hard to consider the likelihood. Yes. So And, and, and even the impact because, you know, the impact is is going to be huge, but quite how it plays out and how you then get into secondary um, impacts and things as well is is sure. really hard to model. Not only hard to model, it's also very costly. It is, and is it cost-effective? Exactly. At that point. Instead of saying unknown unknowns, shouldn't we just label them as the unidentified risks? I think that does more. That represents it better than to say unknown unknowns. It's it's an un, it's unknown unknowns sounds like how the hell was I supposed to know? Well, if you would label it as an unidentified risk, you said, well, you know, we had to stop somewhere. We had to stop somewhere. There's still stuff stuff in the bucket that we didn't get to. Yes, and yeah. it's an unidentified risk. It to me sounds like I was saying we stopped because we couldn't spend more time and money on assessing what else could go wrong. But at least we've got the more prominent, the more uh, obvious risks identified with higher likelihood and a bigger impact. Yeah, so, I mean, they're not sort bigger of, expected impact, I guess. Yeah, or the subway uncertainties. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these are huge impacts. But I guess some of them are also, as we said, as soon as you identify them, then they they can't really be unknown unknowns. But a lot of these things, it's, well, what do you do about it? And I think that's why that's why stuff gets left on the table as well. It's well, this is exceedingly rare. Uh, the impact is huge, and what am I even going to do about it? Yeah, but again, that immediately is something you can note down. It's not an unknown unknown anymore. I think people shy away from identifying risks and then not being able to answer what the. Uh, what the risk treatment is. Yes. You know, everything, everything has to be neat. You, you've identified the risk. You've, you've got a plan for how you're going to treat that. 
and and that may you know don't get me wrong that may be that you're just going to accept that risk but you filled out the the, the matrix i have yep. a risk I've, I've assessed its impact i've assessed its likelihood of i've got a plan and if you can't fill in in the box of well what am i even going to do about this thing then that looks bad on your <laughs> on your risk register doesn't it if you leave it open sure because yeah but it's so unlikely that well well we've got to stop somewhere okay i didn't put that there could be a nuclear meltdown in 100 miles away and that might have an impact on my environment and that might have an impact on my staff coming to work or my power or whatever but also i didn't actually say that there could be an alien death ray and and that could vaporize my factory yes you start getting to the well that's just you know that wow. is science fiction or that is just like well i can conceive of it because i've watched some movies <laughs> do i have to put that down as well is that is that you know coming out of the the unknown unknown bucket into the things that i've actually got to uh, consider so that is just the again that to me is a unidentified risk that just means that you need to be adaptive yeah which neatly loops us back to the uh, the previous uh, episode where we we started mentioning unknown unknowns it's all circular well that's, that is i i was thinking about the unknown unknowns before but during that session actually it came more uh, apparent to me that i was like yeah but hold on if you have unknown unknowns that's nice but can't we just say that's an incident an unidentified risk and now we need to be adaptive to this we need to do something if your data center is vaporized by aliens you need to act quickly right <laughs> Or maybe a solution is to uh, invite sci-fi writers to your risk assessments. You would certainly get some uh, <laughs> different perspectives, wouldn't you? But, no, I mean, that's serious. Um, I can't remember what it is now. There's some quote about if you want to solve your problems, something about hiring another aerospace engineer when you've got 100 aerospace engineers. And why would you hire another one? And maybe you just want to go and hire a psychologist or a sci-fi writer, <laughs> as you say, because you need that that diversity of thought to actually come up with the ideas of, of, of what you're going to do um, and what those risks are and and how you're going to manage them. And, and manage is the word because, you know, what we were talking about before is having the agility but also having those triggers in place. The, the time to act is, is potentially before the, the factory gets vaporised. You may actually have the uh, the doomsayers saying that there's there's an enemy fleet approaching. Okay, maybe you need to take some notice at that point. Yep. Uh, it's, it's probably still too late in that in that scenario. But. Yeah, you should be made aware. So risk factor analysis, keep an eye on what is happening outside, see if threats emerge, if they change, if they... Some of these things may be incredibly rare. Let's consider malicious acts rather than um, acts of nature or whatever. A lot of the likelihood of these events comes down to the capability of the threat actors. Yep. And the motivation. Now, if those, if those start changing, if if a different group of threat actors becomes interested in, in you, if the motivation changes, then that's going to have a material effect on the likelihood, which maybe takes that thing from being, a, being an outlier to being something that is actually a credible risk just because it's an outlier doesn't mean it can't happen no because anything can happen i think the pandemic has told everybody that 
anything life can change in a second and anything can happen so yes your data center can be vaporized and burying your your head in the sand doesn't stop it from happening exactly maybe also during a risk assessment we are usually i'm not saying this should be a rule but like you were saying right you have 100 astronauts how do you hire a psychologist or or sci-fi but it's true if you've been working in the same area for years you get blind for what's happening outside and you, you get focused that's your that's what you see so when i was working in a hospital 26 what is it 26 years ago coming in as an apprentice i saw nurses doing things that i was taught differently but they did it because they always done it that way yep they sort of hospitalized they accepted that as soon as a patient came in a patient would jump into their pajamas and be in their pajamas the whole time they would be in the hospital right immediately why you can you can just dress up normally that because of those embedded systems and that's where you know what i was talking about with the unknown knowns that's blinding you to if you step away from that or as you say you bring in a fresh perspective yep but why we need to rethink this and i i think our mindset is is often holding us back from from rethinking things there's a interesting book on that from adam grant called think again which very much goes into being and becoming aware of what you don't know hmm. so it's it's really talking about i guess known unknowns and actually taking stuff sometimes from the known known category into the known unknown you think you know something you have the perception of knowing something maybe you did know something but the environment's changed things have moved on as you say maybe in your example maybe actually that was the best thing to do 20 years ago not just it was the best information at the time maybe in the environment at the time that was the best thing to do but things have moved on things have changed and you've actually got to be open to rethinking that and saying well is it still the right thing to be doing yes true so we progress is it still a known known and it's and and this actually you remind me i in the beginning said that um the universe and all of its secrets to us are unknown unknowns but that's not true those are known unknowns (laughs) but i guess i guess the you 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 just brought up the the universe in there so newtonian mechanics you know people went along thinking that uh motion was a known known they understood how 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 motion worked and then einstein came along and said actually you don't know how it all works that kind of works with if you're going quite slow if you get really fast it doesn't work at all and so that that second known the do you understand it people thought they understood it until somebody came along and said actually you don't understand it because there's all this other stuff that you've got to understand when you look at the environment differently but there you know you don't know so yeah but it goes from a known known to a known unknown yeah essentially because there's more behind us Uh, and this this happens all the time Uh, so you go from something you you're aware of and you think you understand to something that you're aware of and you realize you don't understand so that that shift is is possible i don't want to labor the point but you can go from a known known to a, a known unknown i think as the external environment changes or i guess your level of understanding changes now i'm still sort of thinking because we have the known knowns we have the unknown knowns 
Okay. Yeah, we talked about them. Um, so where you say that you thought how science worked, physics. Yeah. Um, but then you go to university. Is that becoming a known unknown or is that a unknown known then? Uh, no, that's becoming that's going from a, a known known, so you're confident that you understand something, let's say. And then let's say you lose that confidence and you now realise that you don't fully understand it. Um and that there's more to understand and there's more that maybe in the context of in the context of your risk you need a deeper understanding. So in that sense it shifts certainly towards the known unknown. I think there's also a potential to shift from a known known to a unknown known. Example of that, let's think. So the the fall of the Roman Empire. Yes. We had a lot of Roman towns in, in Britain. We had beautiful Roman buildings. The Romans left. We lost that understanding of, of building. They were patched up with timber and thatch and it was probably centuries before we could actually rediscover that those building techniques, if ever. Maybe we came back and got to the point where we could come up with the same result but via a different process. It's hard to conceive of how the pyramids were built. And I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, that, that, technolo- that technology was lost. That maybe puts it in the unknown known. You know, maybe it wasn't completely lost, but it was in effect lost to mankind or to that nation. It was yeah. something that we had known that we, that we no longer knew. Um, the same goes for the pyramids, as you said, but also Stonehenge. Yep. How on earth did they get those that structure there? And, and um, So that knowledge has vaporized. Yep. We are rediscovering. So that would be an unknown known, I would say. I would say that would be an unknown known. So I, th- I think one of the one of the things we're we're really talking about here is we're in agreement that you can have unknown unknowns, but you can't actually identify any of them because as soon as you do, there's an observer effect there, and they can't go in that box anymore. Yeah. Once you've got something that's a known known, an unknown known, a known unknown, over time it, it is possible for those things to move. That is true too. But clearly they can't become an unknown unknown. Nothing reverts to an unknown unknown because unknown unknown is this limitation in our imagination and our knowledge of the things that can happen. Yeah. And once the event has happened, I wouldn't label it as unknown unknown. I would label it as an unidentified risk. And then you can zoom in and then you discover that there are known unknowns because zooming in showed you more details that you were not aware of. So I would be curious to know what the audience, our listeners, would think of this. Indeed, indeed. The other interesting thing, I think, in this this regard I heard recently, um, I listened to a, a keynote from Jack Jones. He was talking about uh, cybersecurity in terms of anatomy and physiology. Okay. So often we... We understand the parts. You've got a spleen, you've got a heart, you've got a pancreas. And maybe we understand the function. You know, we know what it does. But we have 
not a Scooby, no clue about how it actually works. So you know what it, what, what its purpose is, you're aware that it exists, but you've got no idea how it works. Um, and I think that's that's an interesting way of looking at what we were talking about in terms of awareness and understanding. But with your medical experience. It's definitely one of those... Yeah, it's really fascinating how our bodies work. Like you were saying, we know what they're made of, we know what they're doing, but how it actually and why it actually is doing what it is... And how it... Also a question that, that keeps coming up for me is that how did it evolve in doing what it is doing now how did it learn how did the liver learn to to uh, dispose red blood cells um, the, the broken red blood cells how does it, it it's fascinating but going into the how far do you go with a risk assessment the likelihood if you're developing software do you know maybe maybe we are too far of too far in that we can't go back, but we should have done this at the very start, ages ago. When you deliver some code, it should be tested. And then you add some code and you test it. Now we just have monsters of applications that use published libraries, plugins, APIs. It's all a mix mesh of stuff that has been tested, has not been tested. Now it's a challenge, I would definitely say. So how far do you go? Well, think about the impact so going back to what I going back to what I was saying there, um, pulling that in. Well, then again, uh, I think back in the back in the nineties, maybe. I don't know when it happened. When did, when did we start calling people software engineers when they weren't doing anything at all relating to engineering? We went from pro, programmers to en- software engineers, and you know we now moved on to a very different world to what it was in the nineties. Uh, you know, people. You know, wrote a lot of code, wrote a lot, had to understand fundamental data structures and algorithms. And and as you say, there's, there's a lot more libraries these days. And what's happened is that people don't understand. It's, it's back to anatomy and physiology. People don't understand what these libraries are doing. They understand the input and the output. They understand that, you know, yep. indeed, what this, what, the, what this spleen is doing, but... They don't understand how it does it. So they really can't, I guess, um, comprehend some of the failure cases. You know, how, how can you understand what's going to go wrong if you don't understand how it's working, if it's just a black box? Yes, and if, if in this case you only do the happy flow testing to see if the results you like are there, then you don't know of the problems in the black box. Then, of course, you've got the whole complexity of the, the systemic interactions between all the components and emergent uh, properties and things, which obviously you have in the human body as well. Yes. You can't look at, at one organ in, in isolation, and you can't look at one library in isolation. True, true. But then there's also the, and we've discussed this before, the trade-off between what's the impact if it goes wrong and what's the impact if if the likelihood, if it doesn't occur, and as long as it doesn't occur, we don't carry those costs, right? the impacts, and we're making profits, and the profits outweigh the impact of the risk if it occurs once every X. So, yeah, let's release it. And then we call it an unknown unknown. No, unidentified risk. No, 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 we don't. We, we call it an intern, don't we? <laughs> we call it an intern, we fired him, and uh, we're good now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I, I can conclude that, for me, it is, you've sort of, 
confirmed my ID here that the unknown unknown is unknown unknowns is a I think a false label and it should be classified as unidentified risk once it happens. And and maybe also uh, when time and budget and and also the risk is high enough if it goes wrong, we should spend a little more time on using our imagination or hire somebody from outside to help us look at the situation and say, but hold on, you've overlooked this, this could happen here. An unknown unknown is not that for the entirety of humankind, it's not unknown. It's just to you, right? A group of people. Yes and no. I think, you know, your known known may be somebody else's unknown unknown. Potentially, going back right to the beginning when we were talking about, you know, Jahari windows and things, maybe because it's completely irrelevant to them. You know, you know about particle physics and they're doing, yep. uh, I don't know, building a house or something. And, and um, they don't need to know about that. So that Agreed. the unknown unknowns, yes, often you may be able to hire people in, get some consultants in who would have knowledge. It may be something your competitors know about. It may be something a adjacent industry knows about and you could apply you could see a parallel and it wouldn't be an unknown unknown back to the alien death rays maybe there are unknowns that you know as a planet remain unknown maybe in across the universe somebody else somewhere some other being knows them i'm prepared to accept that there are unknown unknowns there are things that are unknown unknowns in your context but not in somebody else's and I think it pays to spend time looking for those unknown unknowns. They don't necessarily have to go further once you get them into the known unknown bucket. You can make the decision that that's not something you're going to take any further at this time. But it, it may be something that's significant. So you you do need to spend some time looking for those. Agree. And as as we said, they may be things that other people know about uh so you can maybe get some insights from consultants or partners board advisors have you know people go down these these different paths to get external perspectives subject matter experts and sometimes also subject matter in experts yeah i think sometimes the in, indeed sometimes even the the misunderstanding of something highlights uh something you wouldn't have thought of uh, if you were sort of constrained to the models that are in place. Um, exactly. Often, maybe not often, but sometimes certainly the problems are solved from somebody coming at it from an entirely different direction to anybody's ever tried before. You know, some of these great conjectures in in uh, science that are, that are suddenly solved because somebody came at it with a, a completely different perspective. Yeah. Or a completely different approach. So, yeah, known unknowns exist but once you identify them they're no longer unknown unknowns and they may have previously been known to others i think that actually concludes what we were saying here altogether so um i hope our listeners found it interesting and uh i have nothing more to add there no i i have nothing more to add there i th- <laughs> Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. It may not, in general, be practical to identify all the risks you face, but that does not mean that it is reasonable to declare a risk 
to have been an unknown unknown after losses have been incurred. Either your conceptual model covers this risk, in which case it may be a known unknown, or it is an unidentified risk. Effective risk identification requires consideration from different perspectives, from different internal viewpoints and potentially from external advisors. If you have any thoughts on this or any other feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Stay safe wherever you are. We'll be back soon with another topic.